Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studios from South Bend, Indiana, is my good friend and the inventor of the one and only Meeting Friday, the man, the myth, and the legend, Ken Hellenius. Ken, how are you doing, my friend? <laughs> I am well, thank you, Deacon. How about you? Ah, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Loving this Easter season. Ah, who doesn't? Easter is joyful, right? All the alleluias. Here we are. We didn't get to sing it for 40 days plus, And now it seems like we tack it on all the places. I know you, of course, pray the Liturgy of the Hours. And Alleluia is now basically like a constant. Uh, it's it's an antiphon. It's a refrain. It's, it's everything. I love it. Yeah, this is a, a great time of year. And I love how the church... You know, we have 40 days in Lent, but we have 50 days yes. of Easter. That's right. You know, again, to show the great solemnity of, of what this season is all about. Even more joyful. Speaking of joyful, you uh, you referenced their meeting Friday. Uh, and I am pleased to say that I have finally sweated out the last of the meat sweats from our uh, parish-wide Meeting Friday celebration that we did uh, at uh, St. Joseph Parish. Now, some people aren't going to know what Meeting Friday is, and so that's, of course, why you tune in to Living Stones to grow in your faith. And uh, So Meeting Friday was our joyful occasion on the first Friday of uh, the Easter season, so the Friday within the octave of Easter, uh, my parish hosted a, a potluck. And we had about 160 people show up, families, you know, children, all the way up to uh, to to uh, grandparents. And it was a joyful potluck in the parish gym. Uh, there were probably about 40 different dishes, uh, all, everything from Cuban sliders, you know, filled with delicious ham and cheese and things like that, all the way up to a friend of mine baked a brisket in his smoker oven. I brought, uh, of course, ribs. You know, it was just awesome. And of course, why do we celebrate meeting Friday on that particular Friday? But the fact that it is the first Friday after Lent, and it's the, the Friday within the Easter octave, which liturgically for us is a solemnity. And uh, solemnities, of course, are uh, days of great festivity in the Catholic Church. And this particular one is joyful because it is within the Easter octave, and it is a celebration of the bodily resurrection of our Lord. And uh, so we celebrate with the flesh meats. And it was a lot of fun. It was a, a great opportunity. So fun. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we, we have a little thing like that, too, here with some uh, friends of mine. Uh, we gather and, and have something very similar on a much smaller scale than yours. <laughs> but still, uh, we, we every now, now that everybody knows we all should do it. That's right. Every Friday, the octave of Easter. That's right. So this was the first time that we really did it as a public celebration. You know, I've been celebrating Meeting Friday as a kind of a, a personal feast, uh, gosh, for you know probably 25 years now at this point. But uh, this was the first time that it was actually on a 
parish calendar. It was a real thing. And, and uh, next year, it's going to be, my pastor was like, this is awesome. This is the greatest event we've done in a long time. He said, from his perspective as a pastor, he said, we didn't have to really do a lot of planning because you simply, you're throwing a potluck. Everybody's bringing the stuff that they're, they're going to share. And we didn't have to sell tickets. We, didn't, we weren't raising money or anything like that. It was really just a big family dinner together. Uh, And so he loved it from the perspective of organizing events and things like that, especially coming off of a very busy Easter triduum and, you know, all that goes into Holy Week. You know, pastoral staffs are tired and they're tuckered out after after a a long Lent of preparation and then, you know, such an intense, joyful celebration. Uh, Certainly that you would know as a deacon, having uh, preached and participated in all the liturgies as well. Uh, We lay people don't often necessarily, we're not even aware of all that's going on uh, to bring those liturgies, which are the high point of the church's year, uh, to bring them to fruition. And so what a joyful celebration of, uh, of just a chance to break bread, or in this case, break meat together. <laughs> that's all. The Catholic faith is so awesome, man. That's right. And, and, and the meeting Fridays is one of the reasons why everybody should be Catholic. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Be Catholic. Enjoy a tasty morsel of meat. And even even for our friends who don't eat meat, it's it's still it's a call to rejoice in whatever way you, you do. You know, I mean, Christ came to redeem all of creation. All was created for him. All was created through him. And so everything is redeemed in Christ. So if you aren't a meat eater, you can still celebrate Meeting Friday in your own special way. But uh, I happen to enjoy it with uh, some ribs and brisket. All right. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, Deacon, it's been forever since we've been together here in the uh, in the virtual studios. Because, of course, Lent is your big travel season. And you were basically living out of your suitcase for 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's really good to be back out again after really two years. Uh, well, one year hiatus and one year where just really wasn't that many in-person engagements. So to be back in the saddle again, as it were, was is just a, a great blessing. And I actually enjoyed being on the road very much, reconnecting with people again, you know, being there in person. Yeah. You know, was was wonderful and and lots of uh, really moving moments. You know, one in particular, I spoke at a men's conference in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and during one of the talks, it was just really moving. At two things, one a group of men, you know, kind of individually came up to me and just really wanted to share their heart with me. You know, um, some things were going on in their life, and and they felt after my presentation they could come and talk to me about it. And they cried, you know, um, they uh, and I prayed with them and, and they were crying and, you know, they were just saying, you know, how awesome God's mercy is. You know, they were just reveling in, in the power of God's love, you know, and not a, and not a, being afraid to make themselves vulnerable, yeah. you know, which was beautiful. And then the uh, second was um, a group of college kids. Young men came up to me after that conference and were, were telling me. Uh, how enthused they were by the talk, and they were going to bring some things back into their own uh, group. They, 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 you know, they belong to Newman Centers on Catholic colleges there in Canada, and uh, have the struggle that they have, you know, to really maintain their faith. 
you know, so this is really for them a shot in the arm. And, and, so, and, that, and, that, and on, the, on the flight back, I was thinking, this is why I'm doing this. You know, first of all, God wants it. And secondly, yeah, even though I'm away from home, you know, it's these kinds of experiences that really show the need for God's love and mercy and for people to bring that message in a way that you can't do virtually, you know, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's been a, it's been a wonderful blessing. And I know things have been busy for you, too, there at the D. Nicholas Center. Yeah, we've been uh, the semester is, is quickly winding down here uh, on campus at, at Notre Dame. And we've done a lot of book events and we've done um, it's been it's been nonstop, to be honest. And here just in in another week, we have our great big celebration of the spring, the presentation of the Notre Dame Evangelium Vitae medal that's uh, that's coming up here on April 29th. Going to be giving that award uh, for pro-life hero to uh, Robbie P. George. Robert P. George, the uh, professor at Princeton who has been so influential for 50 years in the pro-life movement of forming thinkers and legislators and lawyers who have been fighting the good fight for the pro-life cause, who ultimately was influential in the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. And so we're really excited. He's a, a joyful Catholic thinker, a truth seeker, really, ultimately, is what he is. And um, and he has formed so many generations of, of uh, people that uh, have just made a difference in building a culture of life. And so that's very exciting. And of course, like I say, lots of book events. We've done panels uh, honoring various professors and, and some important discussions about freedom of expression and, and uh, interfaith dialogue and the history of the church and all sorts of just really kind of neat events to be, to be involved in. So uh, plus, you know, we're up to 450 plus of our Soren Fellows, which are undergraduate and graduate students affiliated with the center that we help integrate their academic studies with their vocation in life. It really help provide formation for them that connects their faith with what they're going to be doing uh, once they graduate. And so uh, it's been it's been a busy semester, but uh, we're just happy, as you said, happy to be back in the sw- full swing of things. And so lots of lots of activity, but it never gets in the way of having a fantastic conversation with you, Deacon. And that's what I'm excited to be to be with you again back here in the studio. So, yes, it's glorious to be back with you, Ken. And, uh, you know, we we've previously talked about a few of the fathers of the church. Yeah. And now we want to pick up that story again, you know, which I think is uh, which I think is awesome. And as we get started, uh, maybe maybe you can help us understand what when we say the fathers of the church or doctors of the church, what are we even talking about? Yeah. So the fathers of the church are basically those early teachers. Some of them were, as, as we're going to find it today, were disciples of the apostles, the original apostles. These were the, the men who carried forward the faith, who uh, helped develop the faith, who helped us work through different uh, heresies that were happening in the church at the time. Uh, and, and these uh, men and their teaching really formed the foundation you know, for, for how we think about the faith, how we think about Christ, how we think about the Trinity, how we think about the Eucharist. You know, so so they received, you know, was handed down through the tradition, sacred tradition, handed down from the apostles to them, and they further developed the teaching. You know, um, they broke it open and fed people with, with uh, the beauty and truth of the faith. And uh, and so some of these guys are also doctors of the church. Uh, 
So there's what thirty five of them now, right? With with uh, I think we may Saint Irenaeus to, being added to the is it thirty five? It's like thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven, somewhere in there. It's yeah, it's somewhere, yeah, yeah, somewhere like that. It was thirty three for all of our lives until like the last five years, and then there have been like four more added in the time. So yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and I think you're right, Ken. I think there's like thirty seven doctors of the church now, and several of them are women, which is awesome. Yeah, you know, so what the church recognized that their teaching is so deep is so rich that they've been elevated to the level of a doctor of the church, like a teacher, an official teacher of the church. And uh, some of them are formally designated. And, you know, one in particular who I would love to consider doctor of the church is St. Is John Paul II, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but he's not being given that uh, that designation yet. Um, but their teaching is so, so if like, for example, the church is so brilliant in this. So St. Teresa of Lisieux, who's probably the youngest Mm-hmm. doctor of the church yep. uh, who doesn't have any advanced degrees or didn't know any, you know, uh, biblical languages and stuff, but her uh, teaching and her writing is so rich that the church, you know, considers her one of the top teachers in the history of the church. You know, it just shows you the the really wonderful range. It's not just all intellectual, it's the heart and the mind, you know, right. it's, it's both together, which is, which is beautiful. Well, fantastic. So tonight, let's chat about uh, one of the earliest fathers of the church, uh, one of those who actually, as you mentioned, some of the fathers actually themselves were disciples of the apostles. And so they received the apostolic teaching from the apostles themselves. So why don't you tell us about who we're going to meet this evening? Yeah. So we're going to talk about and learn about St. Polycarp. You know, you don't hear that name that often anymore, which is unfortunate. Yeah. You know, such a such a cool name. But uh, St. Polycarp was born somewhere in the 70s AD. We don't know for sure because, of course, there are no hospitals or birth certificates or anything like that. But somewhere in the 70s AD, uh, he was baptized a Catholic as a child and was known to be very pious. Um, and he became a disciple of St. John. Interesting enough, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And uh, was actually even ordained uh, a bishop by the Apostle John himself before uh, St. John was banished to the island of Patmos. Wow. And the church father, uh, St. Irenaeus, was a disciple of Polycarp. So St. Polycarp became bishop of Smyrna and again was ordained by St. John. And he was a bishop for 70 years. Oh, wow. Uh, Just incredible. And and fought against uh, uh, heresies at that time, including... um, Marcionism. You know, you were talking, we we're talking about meeting Friday before, and one of the things that Marcion denied was the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So he would not have participated in meeting Friday, <laughs> Marcion, uh, unfortunately. Again, as you say, uh, Polycarp kind of fought against him. What uh, what were some of the things that Polycarp had to, had to say to counter Marcion? What was Marcion teaching? Yeah, so Marcion was teaching... Um, he basically wanted Christianity to be untainted by Judaism. So he had a very narrow reading of St. Paul. So it sounded to Martian like St. Paul was rejecting all of the, of the Jewish traditions, you know, um, cause Paul does, does say things like, you know, we have to reject the works of the law. So he's talking about how the old law of the Jewish people, not, not throw it out, not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to see them in light of Christ. You know, Jesus Christ says himself, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so because of that, Martian saw the Old Testament as a stumbling block to the evangelization of Gentiles. 
And so he created his own canon of scripture. It's called the Marcion Canon, which basically had only the, the letters of St. Paul, no Old Testament books, and the Gospel of Luke without the infancy narratives. You know? Wow. He, he also rejected the second coming of Christ. He rejected marriage. You know, so so uh, so St. Polycarp had to speak out um, against those things uh, and not really see them as authentic teaching of, of Jesus Christ or the Catholic faith. Was Marcion like influential? Did he have a number of disciples or was he just kind of a crackpot who, you know, like you see occasionally just shouting out into the wilderness or, or were, was he influential? Yeah, he did have people who were following him. You know, just like a, a number of these heresies, like Arius, right? I mean, it, obviously the Arian heresy lasted a lot longer than Marcion did because you have Arianism, you have semi-Arianism after that. You know, so it, that lasted for hundreds of years in the church. But Marcion did have followers, he did have people, which is why the church had to speak out against him. You know, he was condemned, and St. Polycarp was one of the teachers that had to condemn him, which is, see, the thing is, why this is so important, people get confused by teachings, and so they say, well, wait, Marcion, that, that kind of sounds reasonable, but then you have to have the church accept it and says, well, wait a minute, hold on, you know, um, he, he's he, what he's saying here is not actually true, it's not actually accurate or faithful to, to what the church teaches, here's what the church actually teaches. So it's important, people like Polycarp and Irenaeus and the, the Fathers of the Church are very important to help us to really think through these different teachings. Because And some of the some of these um, people that were teaching heresies didn't deliberately try to turn people away. They were just trying to have a deeper understanding uh, of who Jesus is, what Jesus taught, uh, how we see our lives intertwined with Jesus. What, is, what does Jesus mean that the Word became flesh? All of that. But but sometimes they go astray, and the church had to rein them in. And it's guys like Polycarp who really helped to uh, to keep the faithful focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and and keep the the dogmatic truths of the faith intact, so they could be handed down to generations uh, long after his death. You know, that's uh, what you've described is what heresy is is kind of a, a cutting off in a way, of a portion of the faith in order to focus on a specific doctrine or or kind of a, a set of teachings. And in so doing, they lose sight of the, the coherence of the entire faith. Uh, the word heresy has a meaning, like a literal meaning of something like that, like, like to cut off and to, to section off, uh, as you describe. Marcion came up with his own canon of scripture, his own list of the books of scripture. Now, in Marcion, you know, at the time there had not been necessarily yet a formal declaration by the Council of Bishops uh, of which books really did completely fit in the canon of scripture. But Marcion, like you said, only St. Paul, only part of the Gospel of Luke, not even the whole Gospel of Luke, which rejects, obviously, you know, Matthew and John and Mark and just throws them away and says that they have no value for the faith. And that then denies part of the whole truth that we understand about Christ himself and about what God has done throughout, uh, throughout human history to redeem us. Uh, that would seem to make it very difficult to even understand why did Christ have to come. If there's no Old Testament, what is the even 
why why the incarnation at all? Um, and these are the sorts of things that heretics do. They focus to the exclusion of the fullness of the faith. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's really the Old Testament that helps us see why Jesus did some of the things that he did in the way that he did them. So really fully understand, you know, for Jesus establishing 12 apostles, why did he do that? Why 12? Why not 11? Why not 13? Right. Why 12? Again, you have to look at the Old Testament. Why did Jesus wash the feet of the apostles at the Last Supper? Like I have to look at Exodus 30 and Exodus 40. Jesus called himself the bread that came down from heaven. Well, wait a minute. What are we about? He's, you know, you have to look back in, in Exodus 20 and Exodus 24. When Jesus says, drink my blood, you have to look at Leviticus 17. So there's all these connections that really help us to understand. But one of the things that, that St. Polycarp also did was he suffered greatly for his faith. You know, he could serve as a witness for us today who are persecuted for following Jesus. So even in the midst of, of terrible affliction, he did not stop preaching the gospel. He did not stop proclaiming the truth. When he wanted to carry out his duties as bishop in Smyrna, this was during the um, the persecutions in the Roman Empire, his um, followers wanted to take him and hide him. You know, so they moved him out of the city, even though he wanted to stay and, and, and stay there and keep carrying out his duties as bishop. To avoid being captured, they took him outside the city, moved him around to several places. But eventually he was discovered and he was uh, condemned to death by wild animals, you know, by being killed by wild animals. And uh, so Polycarp was told that all he had to do was blaspheme Jesus Christ and they would free him. Just mock Jesus, just reject Jesus. So he said, how can I blaspheme my creator, and my savior, who is my judge, who judges who justly punishes those who deny him. You know, he considered it uh, glorious to die for Christ, you know? And yeah. as I mentioned, he was initially sentenced to death by being eaten by wild beasts. But then he said, call them quickly. The beast will help me pass from mortal suffering to the glory of heaven. And so when they heard that, they said, uh, okay, he's going to enjoy that too much. Let's burn him alive instead. Oh, man. <laughs> to, to which he said, your fire only lasts a moment. There is another fire which is eternal, and of that I am afraid. Why do you delay in executing your threats? <laughs> like, Bring it Whoa. on. He see, in other words, he's yeah, he's more afraid of hell, yeah, of the fires of hell than than the fires that's gonna that was gonna burn him alive. You wow. know, just uh, incredible witness. And as he was about to be burned, he prayed his last words: "I bless you for judging me worthy of this day, this hour." So that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. And so rise again to eternal life in soul and body, immortal through the power of the Holy Spirit. May I be received among the martyrs in your presence today as a rich and pleasing sacrifice. Wow. You know, just, uh, yeah, beautiful last words. And, and those words are so rich. You know, I bless you for judging me to be worthy of this day, of this hour. You know, so mindful of Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, his, you know, and, and his words to the apostles, John's Gospel, like it's for this hour that I've come. And, and Saint Polycarp talk about sharing in the cup of Christ. You know, which Jesus accepted in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and they talk about Jesus rising on Easter Sunday. So, he says, so I may rise too to immortal life. So he's also he's as he's as he's about to be uh, martyred. He's also teaching. Right. You know, right. imagine all those people around them hearing. Him not just preach the gospel, but live it. But actually, you know, he's uh, about to be burned alive on this pyre, 
and he's preaching the beauty and truth of the faith. And what's interesting is when they did set him on fire, he didn't burn. The flames formed an arch around him, and he began to emit a, a pleasing fragrance. Oh, my. Yeah, I know. It's like it must have been meeting Friday when he did that. <laughs> he smelled like a steak or something. <laughs> but when the soldiers saw this, they, they were upset because he wasn't being burned. So they um, ran him through with a spear. And uh, from the accounts there, it says so much blood flowed out that it put out the fire. Oh, dear. You know, after they after they killed him. Wow. Yeah. And so of all the things that he taught, uh, we have an epistle to the Philippians where he gave a, uh, probably his, his greatest corpus of teaching was there in the epistle to the Philippians. And so what lessons can we learn from him today? We have, I think, too many people who are fans of Jesus and not followers. You know, so we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to sacrifice to have a deep relationship with Jesus? You know, what what are we willing to do? Do we reject Jesus in our words and actions? Do we just pay lip service to it? Do we just show up every Sunday and punch the clock? Or are we, you know, are we really trying to live our faith with passion and conviction like like Polycarp did? You know, I like that you point out that he is a, a great model for those who are persecuted, because, of course, in our world, we know we we see all the time, particularly in Nigeria, you know, Christians are literally being persecuted, even in our own hemisphere. In Nicaragua, the government, you know, is shutting down the ability to of the church to practice the faith, the Catholic faith during Holy Week. It was it was completely forbidden. Here in the United States, we saw in Holy Week, uh, you know, that the army, uh, you know, canceled the contract for uh, the Walter Reed Hospital for the Catholic Church to provide sacraments. Some of these are clear persecutions. Others are difficulties in the faith. We can look to saints like Polycarp to and ask for their intercession so that we can have the freedom to practice our faith and to proclaim and invite people into relationship with Christ. I know, of course, that fantastic quotation from Polycarp. He's like, I've served Jesus Christ for 80 years already. Why should I give up now? Yeah. You, you know, um, as he's being condemned. And he is incredibly inspiring. And what a, what a fantastic witness to the faith. So thank you for introducing us to Polycarp of Smyrna. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to let people know about this great saint. Well, next week, we're going to continue chatting about the fathers of the church, and we're going to talk about, as you mentioned, Irenaeus, uh, who was himself a disciple of Polycarp. And so when we come together next week, we'll uh, pick up the uh, the fantastic thread of the saints and fathers of the church. Uh, and so until then, we invite you to connect with us via uh, our Facebook page. We're at Living Stones Media on Facebook. Uh, you can also uh, download previous episodes of the show at moderndayradio.com. Deacon, in this fantastic Easter season, until we gather next week together, might we, uh, might we have a blessing? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and keep you in the joy of this Easter season, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.